welcome to the Faith Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 20th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of October 23rd, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited that if you didn't check out the special 250th episode announcement type thing that I put out earlier this week, I'd highly recommend it. It's probably the longest podcast I have ever put out and probably the longest I will ever put out for probably a good at least 100 episodes or more. Really gets into a little bit talking about the backstory of what we've haven't been told about this podcast publicly before, kind of what goes on a little bit behind the scenes. Definitely making sure I get a few public thank yous out, and there's definitely a lot more who deserve to be there. But also just giving you a little bit of background on what's all gone on. What does it all take and mean to look and dig into a faith and science podcast week after week after week for 250 straight weeks? So it's something that, honestly, it was really fun to record. It was really interesting to actually get behind a mic and just be able to freely talk. Uh, Don't have a text to look at to help guide the conversation, but also be able to kind of get some things off. And again, just like typical, the moment that you quit recording, there's plenty of other additional stories that come to mind. So there'll obviously and be plenty of other things to eventually tell different behind the scenes stories that have happened in future of these types of updates. But it's really fun to be able to be at this point. It's really exciting to be at this point as we are knocking on the door of five years. But it's also really empowering to know that there are people who are listening. There are people who are tuning in and hearing what we're talking about. And I think it plays really well into just thinking about where we're moving. And this week, I think, is no different. I think there's a lot of stuff to get into, so let's just jump into it. But before we do, we have to look at last week's question, which was, how are you protecting this gift? This gift being last week talking about the world and looking at the gift of what God has given us in creation. And I think it's something that we all are constantly wrestling with, especially depending on our ages. You have certain ages where they're getting... I'm doing the best I can, but I'm getting toward the end and I just don't feel like there's a crap ton more I can do, but I'll see what I can continue to do. Meanwhile, where there's people who are my age and younger who are much more like, there's a lot of things and just we need to be taking and embodying ourselves and be able to recognize this is a gift and how do we treasure this thing, but also realizing the gift is changing because of our actions and then how do we still try to help hold on to that a little bit, I think is really interesting. But I think also to give you a little teaser on where we're going, I think this week really plays well with that idea. This idea of how we are constantly evaluating and looking at our lives and constantly trying to retransform who we are, making sure that we're not being blinded to different parts of our own lives. So let's just jump into it. There's a lot of text this week. So one of the Old Testament texts that you can have is from Joel chapter 2, verses 23 through 32. This is one of the minor prophets. It's a small little interesting book. It's a difficult book because there isn't necessarily a lot of history that is known on even who wrote it. There's estimates on when it was written, things of that nature. But it's this book at this moment here that is trying to connect the different promises that God has made to the people and helping people understand the fulfillment. And this is a point here where 
Joel is starting to future cast on where God is going based off of how he's seen different promises being laid out. And this recognition on how God has continued to provide for his people. And thus, we need to be able to recognize that and give God the praise that is due. But then realizing how the spirit of God then is wanting to be poured out on all of us, not just a select few. And especially starting here in verse 28 and 29, we've kind of probably heard before that your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions and your male and female slaves in those days. I will pour out my spirit, this idea of abundance on how God is trying to reach and connect with us and wants to be embedded and be a part of us so much deeper. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 65, all 13 verses of it. This again, like we've been talking about this reflection idea is recognizing the praise that is due and how God has continued to satisfy the needs of what we have and how God is ahead of us and us recognizing then in that reflection on how God has continued to provide this beautiful creation around us, realizing that our needs of what we have are being met and it's a blessing of what God has done and the richness, the abundance that is given in that is also absolutely beautiful. So then we get to the interesting text of Sakura chapter 35 verses 12 through 17. This is part of the Apocrypha in the Protestant traditions. This is not necessarily part of the Hebrew Bible. There's just a lot of technicals and we've talked about it before where the original manuscript we haven't found but when it's being translated back into the words of the people. They've found that. And there's a preface from the grandson of the original person who wrote this. But it's something similar to a book kind of like Proverbs. So in this, it's recognizing how God does repay and God does care about us. It's not that we're trying to bribe God. It's not that we're trying to make this this give and take relationship. God does want to give in this abundance, but isn't also trying to show partiality. It's people that God has walked with that that's where God's going to be. It's this idea of we continue to try walking with God and recognizing that if our prayers aren't being answered, it's not necessarily our mistake. It's that maybe we're not seeing where God is trying to have us go or have us take care of. We are continuing then alternatively with Jeremiah chapter 14 verses 7 to 10 and 19 through 22, continuing these warning of things to come, but it's this recognition of why are we putting our hope in other things? Why are we not recognizing who God is and that this is amazing that God does care about us, but also in that, that God realizes that we are this wandering people and he does remember this, the sins and the inequities, but he also, as we know, as continuing in this book, he does want to forgive, but it's this idea of how God does want to have this relationship with us. And it's Jeremiah writing to the people, do you not understand how much God does want to have this relationship with us? And how God has continued to deliver, especially as when we're following, it's when we're parting from that path that that's when a lot of hardships come. 
The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 84, the first seven verses of it. And it's, again, the idea of how our soul longs for this recognition of God and how recognizing as we see God more and more, how God does provide for even the sparrow and gives a place for them to lay their eggs and have a home. And why wouldn't God be able to do that then also for us? You know, making sure that we are taken care of, but it's also in that recognition of who God is. The epistle text is again out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8 and 16 through 18. Again, we have to remember that Paul is in prison at this point writing to Timothy. And you get this, that this is nearing the end for Paul just in these texts and how I have continued to keep the faith as I am walking this out. But also then in verse 16, we kind of get this shift, especially because of the jump in the text on how no one came to my support as I was deserted, but it was God who gave him the strength to continue on. And it was God who was there actually with him as humankind left and left Paul deserted. It was God who continued to be there and make sure that he was protected at that time. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. This is a parable we only hear in Luke, so we have to keep our ears open and realize that this is a little bit different, especially as we're realizing that Luke is probably writing to some more of the prestigious and wealthy in this text. But here we go. It's another parable. And who should be trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded contempt for others? And so you have these two men who are in the temple praying. You have a Pharisee who's standing up, who is giving so much that he's not like these other people. He's not like this tax collector. I give a tenth of all my income. I fast twice a week, which is beyond what is ever commanded in scripture. And then you have this tax collector who is not even looking up to heaven, but beating on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus saying, this man went home justified rather than the other who exalted themselves. So those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this idea of playing in that in-between in a lot of ways. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plugs full Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts or commentaries and discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction for this podcast. Heck, this week in Sermon Brainwaves, there was different discussions to help lead me to the places where we're going to be going in this podcast. So if you haven't checked out the discussions, the commentaries, and all the great things that are going on at workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I use them on a weekly basis to look at all the text. I really like how they lay that out, but I also really enjoy how they have the art there. They have prayers, they have hymns to be able to help tie a service together or just be able to help you get into the text in a deeper way. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. I think the linchpin, like many weeks, is the gospel text this week. And it's the recognition of this Pharisee who is comparing himself to others and comparing how he's not even like this other tax collector who's in the corner. And he's not like all these other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, that he is going above and beyond to be the best that he can be. 
And then we have this tax collector who never recognizes that he's going to necessarily turn back. But we get this idea based on that he's beating his breast that their pain that he or she has in being a tax collector and recognizing that something needs to change in their life. This contrast is where we are met this week. And I think it's really interesting because there's two different ways we can look at this. And I think one's an easier biological way. And one is, I think, a chemist who lived this out. And we'll get to that point. But I think the easier biological way of looking at this is decomposers. And decomposers are part of the nutrient life cycle. It's taking the living and converting it into something so that it can live again in a different form. It's breaking things down. It's breaking down the recently dead. A lot of times it's thought of as like worms or fungi or slugs, things that are breaking down things. And you can have in that, you can have detritivores, which are more the worms, slugs that are breaking things down faster, helping and bring the nutrients back into a form that it can be absorbed, being able to help plants grow again, taking a tree and it's fibrous living thing even as it dies and breaking it down to return to soil to be able to have those nutrients be reabsorbed it's not a great job it's not a praiseworthy job but it's also taking the crap from something else and turning it into something good so that it can grow again but i think the better example as i reflected on this week that epitomizes this text to me is Alfred Nobel. And we've talked about Alfred Nobel before, but when I was reflecting on this text, this is the epitome to me of this text is Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel is best known now for the Nobel Prizes that we hear about and that were recently announced at the beginning of October. But what we don't necessarily always link him to is he is the chemist that developed dynamite. And in his time, was recognized as the merchant of death and completely revised the narrative going forward. And I think it's a story that's worth being told because I think it shows how easy it is for us to be the Pharisee and how difficult but humbling and necessary it is for us to be the tax collector in the same breath. So let's jump into it. So Alfred Nobel had gone through a lot of crazy stuff growing up. He had some health issues growing up. He also had his father have an unsuccessful business where they then had to live very frugally going abroad where then he did very well for a period of time in munitions and yet then also watching that crumble near the end of his father's life. But in this, as Nobel was a very smart boy, learned to read at age three, was growing a lot. And as he slowly got some of his early health issues out of the way, he became really interested in nitroglycerin, which was a very volatile thing at this point. It was an explosive, but they weren't able to figure out how to really tame it. And so then he spent time as he became a young man working on, one, the family business, but after that, trying to tame nitroglycerin. 
in September of 1864, in this process of trying to be able to develop a way of taming this nitroglycerin, there was an explosion at the factory where he was, and it killed one of his brothers. In doing this, he felt more vindicated that I have to figure out how to tame this stuff. So he ended up building a factory in a place that had some fossil-infused soils, which help more neutralize the nitroglycerin. Essentially what happened is that the clay and shells that were in the soil act as sorbents, which then absorb a lot of the liquids and gases, which then made it less volatile, made it so it kind of more was put to sleep, along with the stabilizers that they also added in. In doing that, he had now kind of helped to harness the potential of dynamite. And in doing that, he then also had to build off blasting caps to be able to wake this stuff up. He is quoted on saying, my dynamite will sooner lead to peace than a thousand world conventions. As soon as men find out that in one instant, whole armies can be utterly destroyed, they surely will abide in golden peace. Nobel was convinced that in this research, in what he was doing, this was a peace-filled journey. This was something that was going to make the world a better place. And in fact, he then continued to double down as dynamite was, yes, very popular and making him quite wealthy. He looked into jelly night, which then was safer, easier to shape, and made a bigger explosion yet. And yet again, lined the coffins of his own estate. And as things continued to happen, he ended up then working on ballistic, which was a smokeless propellant using nitrocellulose and nitroglycerin and used in the cartridges of Italian rifles. He was living out what he was seeing as his goal and mission in life. In 1888, he realized things hadn't gone quite the way that he had expected. One of his other brothers died who had been in munitions also and had been working more the family business side. But when the news turned up, papers thought it was Alfred who had died instead of his brother Ludwig. In doing that, you had newspaper titles such as The Merchant of Death is Dead. And as Alfred was reading these, he realized that how the world had perceived what he was doing wasn't as how he had initially intended it to be. He then, in 1893, started working on a will that took two years, and on the 27th day of November in 1895, he signed his will. In his will, it gave 94% of his total wealth, the equivalent of $265 million, a little over that, to be able to then create five prizes that would be, as quoted, during the preceding years have conferred the greatest benefit to mankind. And these categories were physics, medicine, chemistry, literature, and peace. And at the turn of the 20th century, we added economics. A little over a year after his will is created, Alfred Nobel passes, and five years after Alfred Nobel dies, the first of his prizes are given out. As we know now today, these are perceived as the greatest gift 
that can be bestowed on somebody, especially within the science community. These are lifetime achievement awards, being able to discover something that has lasting impact on these different communities. When we look at this, we see these in these texts and how the Luke text kind of ties all these different other texts together. The idea of us being able to recognize how God is continuing to provide for us and not getting too high that we're ignoring it, but also walking alongside so that God can continue to pour into us as we read in Joel, recognizing in Psalm 65 how God has provided so abundantly for us and how rich it is and how easy, as we know, but how easy it is for us to ignore that. Sakura being able to recognize this isn't a bribe. This is a relationship that God is trying to have. Having us be able to see the way that God sees. Jeremiah recognizing that yet again, what are we doing? How God has continued to be there and yet we're wandering? Why are we wandering? God continues to provide for us. Why are we letting that go? And how God does provide, gives us a place, gives us shelter, gives us a place when we are following in the ways of where God is wanting us to be, coming from Psalm 84. And Paul coming in the Second Timothy text on how God has given him the strength to be able to do it, even when everybody else rejected what had been done. Alfred Nobel had created the amount of wealth that would set him and his family up for generations. But the issue was he never had children. He was trying to do something that he was seeing that was benefiting mankind and it had been something that had been driving him through his whole life. And then as he realizes near the end, as his health is degrading, that I haven't been able to do what I thought I was able to do. It wasn't necessarily covering up everything that he had done. He was also trying to see this was what I was trying to do. And apparently, to the eyes of many, it wasn't there. And in reflection, I would assume he was unable to figure out this thing that was has driven mankind in a better direction. It has driven us as a society to pursue benefiting each other and becoming better people. Being able to share our discoveries and research as many of his years of development, he had been trying to fight to protect all the patents and try to get imposters out of the dynamite industry. Alfred Nobel, I see, is in a lot of ways much more like the tax collector. But yet, in certain points of his life, with the wealth in which he had, he could easily been a Pharisee. It's easy as a Pharisee to cast things off to ignore different things. And it's not necessarily saying that what the Pharisee was doing was wrong. It's the recognition of realizing how God has not only blessed, but then seeing the blessings of what God has done. It's not about purely what you have done. Alfred Nobel, I think, toward the end started realizing that all the stuff that I had done and the intentions that I had set didn't bring it into the place that where I had wanted it to go. But yet I have been blessed with this, to be able to bless others, to be able to move our conversation within mostly scientific fields, but even literature and peace to new places, to be able to help us as a society move in a direction that I would say as a Christian, moving us more toward the light of where God is calling us to be. We don't like worms and slugs, but yet they're the ones who create the foundation for life to come. 
is things that we are seen as icky and things we don't want to associate with, but yet they're the ones who help bring forth life. Alfred Nobel was seen as the merchant of death of his time, but yet has inspired generations of people to do better, to pursue things beyond themselves, to share their research, share their literature, share their knowledge to help all of us grow. I think in a lot of ways, that's where we're in this moment of. It's not about I as an individual. It's about us as a community and how is I as an individual impact us as a community. And it's this balancing act we have talked about time and time again that we all are in this wrestling of, of trying to make sure that we're not all about us, but not all about I, finding that middle ground to be able to best influence our communities, our faith lives, our churches, our communities, everything around us to benefit each other. But I think the point that we have to be able to remember is that takes self-reflection. If we look at Joel, he's reflecting on the prophets that have come before him to be able to have that book come out. No matter how hard it is for us as theologians to get into placing it and what is it actually doing, it's trying to take all these different prophets and putting them together and saying, this is what we're able to do. This takes self-reflection. The Psalm 65 is recognizing all the transgressions and things we haven't done, but yet God still continues to bless and look at what all these things that God has done. Self-reflection. Sakura saying it's not about you as an individual. You're not trying to bribe. You've got to be making sure that your eyes are open to see what else is going on, who has been wrong, who are things and ways that we can benefit. Self-reflection. Jeremiah trying to get the people to reflect on the idolatry and yet how that has harmed them in the past. And I'm trying to warn you how God is not liking this. You need to self-reflect and maybe redirect yourself. We see that in 2 Timothy, how Paul is self-reflecting and saying, the world had cast me aside, but I knew God was there with me because God had been been steering me and been working with me and this is where I needed to be. Self-reflection. If you are seeing how God provides for you and being able to sing praise, self-reflection. Deep self-reflection. The Pharisee has done some self-reflection because he's seeing what he is doing, but he hasn't gotten to that point of how it's impacting more than just himself. The tax collector has gotten to that deeper self-reflection. You know, society that is patented on the idea of go, 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 hustle, culture, moving faster, are we actually doing the self-reflection that is needed and called upon us to do? Because these are things that aren't quick and easy. Alfred Nobel's brother died in 1888, and he started his will in 1893, and then it took two years to get the will done. There was a lot of deep self-reflection to get to that point. The question I have for you this week is, how are you going to make sure you're doing your deep self-reflection? How are you going to make sure that you're doing your deep self-reflection? Because without that, it's hard for us to understand the calling of which we have within our communities. It's hard to understand the calling that God has given us, but it's also hard for us as a people to know the direction where God is calling us. Yes, there are times that God is calling us to move and move quickly, but it also means that we need to continue to walk alongside to be able to see what God is also trying to stir up that is below the surface, the deeper stuff. That's where the humbling actually happens. The Pharisee isn't necessarily doing anything wrong. The Pharisee just isn't going deep enough. Jesus is calling out that you are able to go deeper and see more of what I am trying to steer you toward. 
that's all. That's all that we're wrestling with there. And I think within our day-to-day lives, within the culture in which we're in, I think that's very relatable. The pandemic caused us to slow down and reflect. And it was amazing how we saw a lot of things that change within our culture and society. And now as we are trying to move beyond it, I'm trying to revert back to the ways that the things used to be. Do we not remember the things that we learned during the pandemic? Do we not remember the things where we benefited from slowing down? Yes, it was a scary time. Yes, it was a hard time. But we all know that we benefited in certain ways. I will also admit there was a lot of hard things that we are still dealing with. There's still a lot of mental health issues that we are dealing with because of the pandemic. But that also means that maybe we need to be able to have the eyes to be able to see it not continue to ignore it like we did before. Pandemic also rolls things to the surface that we need to be aware of. And are we just pushing those down and ignoring them again? These are the deep self-reflection questions that I think work really well with where we're at today. Are we going to be a Pharisee and just rise up the things that are easy for us to see? Are we going to also cry like the tax collector and realize that there's things that are hard and God, I'm needing help? How do we then, as an individual and as a community, help? I think these are the deep questions that Alfred Nobel wrestled with himself. I think these are the deep questions ourselves that we need to wrestle with, to be able to move in the direction and be able to see where God is moving us today. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.